Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Worship Director Justin Jackson is continuing a series on 1 John, where he encourages us to have confidence in God, even when our hearts, our emotional inner selves, condemn us. So, instead of following your heart, follow God, and He will empower you through the Holy Spirit. After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, like, in what ways does your heart try to condemn you? And, Who in your community needs to be encouraged past their own self-condemnation? You can find these questions on our website next to the worship service video. Now, here's today's message. Good morning, Northwest Hills. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm the worship director here, and uh, it is my pleasure to be joined on stage today by uh, Lori Binney, who's just one of my dear friends and is always praying for me and loving on me. And she's going to share us our passage from Scripture this morning. So, Lori, take it away. Great. We've been here a long time. Steve and I have been members here, and the Word of God has always been the foundation here. And so Mm -hmm. I feel honored to be able to read. So we're going to look at 1 John 19. Through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep him his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Lori. All right, well, I'm just going to rip this Band-Aid off really quickly. Um, I turned 30 this week. Uh, yeah, um, which is just kind of like the weirdest birthday I've had so far. Like, and mainly, mainly because like internally... I've been, like, dreading this birthday for a really long time. And normally, that's not normal for me. Like, I love birthdays. Like, regardless of, like, the presents, like, I kind of stopped caring about those when I was, like, 12. But, like, I love birthdays for, like, uh, I get giddiness of, like, getting older, getting wiser. Like, I love, um, like, when family all gets together for birthdays. Like, when May rolls around, like, I get really excited. Like, ah, it's my birthday's coming up, right? But um, it's, it's not been the same way that week internally. Now, externally... People love celebrating me, and it just is such a blessing. <laughs> like, like, our staff is just, like, so loving. My wife, every single year at church, my wife completely bamboozles me with the most ridiculous birthday surprises ever. I'll just give you a couple examples. Two years ago, or I guess last year, not this, la- not this year, but last year, uh, she took me here, um, which, I mean, if you know me, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So this was like, yeah, right? Like, this is sweet. Um, we got to live a little hobbit. This is not uh, New Zealand, by the way. We didn't, she didn't take us all the way to New Zealand. But if you ever want to stay at a hobbit hole hotel, like a real-life hobbit hole hotel, there's one up in Washington. Go check it out. Um, this year, Windsor and her whole family surprised me with an office-themed birthday party. Uh, so 
As you can see there, we got some characters. Um, uh, they even brought me a change of clothes so I could be Prison Mike. Uh, so for those of you who know that reference, you're welcome. Yeah, I laughed that up. That was pretty fun. So I'm blessed. I'm, I'm really blessed with people around me who love me and like encourage me and have been like our staff, my friends, like everybody's just been so encouraging. And it's been great because so much of my own internal thoughts for this birthday have been really negative. Like stuff like, you know, you're becoming irrelevant. You can't be crazy fun anymore. You're leaving your 20s. Like your body's starting to fall apart. Like my knee hurts, which are all like total lies. Like I'm not, none of that's true. Like my, I'm fine. I'm in great shape, but, but it's stuff that I like believe about myself. Like it's these internal thoughts. And even when I know it's a bunch of lies, I still believe it. Why is that? Like, why does that happen? And, and more importantly, like, why do we listen? You know what I mean? And, uh, and John's going to talk about this uh, very thing this, uh, this morning, so we're going to dig into it. Man, I love, I love John. I know I mentioned this, uh, like, if you heard me preaching, like, last summer when we were going through the Gospel of John. I've said this before. Um, I love John. So many of the New Testament writers, like, you know, you got Luke, you got, like, Matthew, you got Paul. They write uh, as, like, very deep thinkers. Like, they're, they're intellectuals, they're scholars. Like, they write from this very, like, intellectual and analytical kind of standpoint, which is great. I'm not saying those dudes are like heartless at all or anything like that. But John for sure is like the feeler of the group. You know what I mean? If he was like a Myers-Briggs, he would definitely be like an F feeler over a thinker. Yeah. Um, Bible scholars believe John was probably a very like deeply sensitive man, very like in touch with his feelings. You know, something that I, that always comes back to my mind when I think of John, uh, for those of you who were here last year, if you uh, watched The Passion of the Christ with us for Good Friday, there's this scene, which of course is a, a big scene in the movie. It's where Jesus is being whipped and beaten. And there's three people who are stuck around to like watch. It's, it's Mary, his mother. It's Mary Magdalene. And it's John. And you just watch this guy just like, this actor does such a great job because he's just, you can, you can tell how much he hurts so much to see his friend going through that. Like John is such this feeler. He's often actually referred to as the apostle of love. I thought these were kind of cool. Do you guys know that the words um, beloved or little children, so if, you, if you've been reading through First John, we've been going through this series, the words beloved and little children show up 21 times, I think, 20 times in the book, and the book only has like five chapters. Every single time he's referring to his readers, he's calling them like his beloved or his little children. Like he just, he loves them. And th- this one's really funny. Uh, John uses the word love 51 times in this book alone. If you take all the words in 1 John and you were to like evenly space out all the words, all the times he says love, he can't go more than 40 words without saying the word love in this, in this book. It's, it's kind of funny. Like he, he, uh, he just exudes love. He knew in the day and age in which he wrote, like, and even now, how hard it would be for his believers or for his readers to believe these like amazing things that he was writing to them. He wanted them to know what it was like to be loved, truly loved, um, by the Savior of the world, and to, uh, and to live in true freedom. He, uh, how many times so far in this book has he said something like, by this we know? Which is not just saying, like, by this we, like, understand, like, we know with our minds. He's saying, like, uh, we have, like, security. We can feel truly secure and confident in the knowledge that we have, right? And today he's just going to do more of that. Coming right out of what Josh preached on last week, uh, we have a challenge from John, right? He says, don't just love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's what we talked about last week. Uh, basically, he's just saying, live out your love, don't just say it. And uh, <laughs> John is great here. 
because uh, being the feeler he is, he kind of anticipates his reader's next question, right? Because if the challenge is, you know, love your brothers and sisters in deed and truth, the follow-up question might so- sound something like this. Okay, like, how do I do that? Or, uh, more, or, or maybe even more like, how do I know when I'm doing that, right? Like, that's, I ask those questions when I, when I see that phrase. Like, love your brothers and sisters in deed and truth. Like, okay, how do I do that? John's ready with some answers. So in verse 19... We see John start with this phrase, by this we know, right? There it is again, by this we know, that we have confidence. We can be confident that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Okay, so, so John recognizes that there is this hurdle that we have to like overcome, this hurdle that can confuse and mislead us when we're trying to know and follow the God of truth. And that would be our heart. Okay, now I, I don't think anyone, whether you, you've read the Bible cover to cover or you've never set foot in a church before, no one can really read this passage and think like he's talking about like an organ that like pumps blood to the body, Right? Like, you don't even, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't even have to be religious to know that, like, for human beings, the word heart means more than just a series of pumps and and valves and and chambers, right? Like, John uses the Greek word um, cardia, which I'll put up on screen here, which, of course, should make you think of words like cardio or cardiac, right? But just like our modern word heart, cardia meant many things to the Greeks, including, like, the seat of human emotion, the physical and moral like center of a person, their innermost being. Uh, Donald Burdick's commentary, I, I put that up here, actually defines John's use of the word here pretty nicely. He says, John uses the term to refer to the inner man with special emphasis on the conscience and the feelings. So what John is saying is, when our conscience or our feelings condemn us, God is greater than our conscience or our feelings. And when they don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And I love this so much. This statement, which by the way is meant to be an encouragement. Like we're supposed to be encouraged by this. This isn't like a challenge. This isn't like a, you know, you, you think differently. Like he's encouraging his, his fellow believers here. This encouragement flies in direct and total opposition of one of the most pervasive mantras of our current cultural moment. Okay, that mantra is this. Follow your heart. Is there anyone in this room who has never heard that phrase used before in their life, or even the, just, let alone in like the last week? Like it's, it's like everywhere, right? Like follow your heart. Have we ever stopped to think about what we mean when we say that? You know, I think for most of us, we, we hear that phrase and we get kind of warm fuzzies, right? Because when we think of the phrase, follow your heart, we think of, you know, Disney princesses who follow their heart and live happily ever after. Right? We think of dreams where, DreamWorks heroes who like follow their hearts and finally become who they were meant to be, right? But the reality is our hearts, our hearts don't always lead us to that Disney ending, do they, church? Right? Like, in fact, the great lie of our age is this idea that we can find that happily ever after by following something that, uh, by following a heart, something that changes, that is changing, and it's unpredictable, in fact, the evidence all around us, I don't even think I need to go to scripture for this. Like, I, I think it's really all around us. Like, we could, there is scripture to back this up, but like, there's evidence all around us that like, more often than not, our hearts lead us left o- less often to clarity and more often to confusion. Less often to freedom and more often to slavery. There's this great article from uh, Desiring God. John Bloom says this about the heart. He says, your heart will try to shepherd you. Do not follow it. 
It is not a shepherd. It is a pompous sheep that, due to remaining sin, has some wolf-like qualities. Or, and he makes this comparison too. Uh, this one's great because we're going back to Disney. Our heart is like Jack Sparrow's compass from Pirates of the Caribbean, right? You guys seen those movies? It never always points like true north, right? It points to what we want most at that time. And sometimes it just spins around, right? Church, our heart was not made to be a leader, but to be a follower. Now, when someone starts talking about the heart from the pulpit, right? Like the verse that usually springs to mind is Jeremiah 17, 9. You know, it's like the classic, like the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, right? Like who can understand it? And that usually comes with a sermon about how depraved our hearts are and how prone our heart is to lead us into temptation, which is all true. But I love, what I love about this passage in 1 John is how John approaches the topic from like the opposite side of the coin. John realizes that not only is the heart this thing that usually fights against our conscience to tempt us into doing something bad, it certainly does do that. He also brings to light a more quiet and sinister thing the heart does. Right, which is act as a false conscience to prevent us from doing good. So he says in verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. My friends, John is saying that your heart has the capacity to paralyze and cripple you with fear, doubt, guilt, and shame, rendering you incapable of doing the very good things you've been called to as a disciple of Jesus. See, we read in Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to not take that out of context, in the same chapter, we read that in all things, we have been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the truth of our situation. But so often our heart convinces us that that's not the case, right? That I, I can't conquer anything, that, that my past sins or my weaknesses disqualify me from kingdom work. Why would God love me? How could he use me for his kingdom? Something that just grieves my soul so much is our human tendency to miss the sinister wickedness in our hearts that often hides behind like the more obvious wickedness, right? Like we all know what like the real wickedness of, of the heart that, looks, that lurks in the man's heart is, is, right? Like that's, it's like the 10 commandment sins, right? Like the wickedness that makes us commit murder and theft and idolatry and adultery. But how often do we talk or even really think about the wickedness that comes in the form of our lack of faith? or our fear, or our distrust of God and others. And I know, I know that sounds harsh, but, but our heart capitalizes on these things to keep us far from God, to convince us that he's not who he says he is, uh, that we're not his children, right? Like, what beautiful things could be accomplished for the kingdom if we were able to, like, face our fears and overcome them? And how easily can Satan manipulate our hearts to, to forget about God's unchanging truth and just become paralyzed by our guilt or our fear or our shame or our doubt. Yeah, my heart breaks for the person who becomes trapped in that endless cycle of listening to their own condemning heart. You're not good enough. You can't handle that. You're too broken. You don't have what it takes. As a quick side note, uh, our, uh, our women's retreat, I got to be at the women's retreat because I was helping out with worship and stuff. Um, <laughs> And that women's retreat speaker, Kari Patterson, she's awesome. Like, her stuff could be just as good for guys as it was for gals. Like, it was amazing. Um, but she talked about, and I won't get into the specifics because it was personal stuff. You can look it up online. She shared it with the ladies. But, like, she talks about this idea of, like, her husband and she going out on a limb and, like, trusting God and, like, the difficulties that came with that. 
right? And all the ways that their hearts could have convinced them to turn around and stop. We don't, we don't need to do what God's calling us to do. This is too hard, right? But they didn't. They trusted God more than their heart. John pleads with his readers, like, no, you have confidence. Like, God is greater than your heart. And he's, he's whispering to you, I'm with you, right? You can handle what I put before you. I have put you back together. You have what it takes. Step out in faith. What the heart says cannot be done, God can always do. So that's our hurdle, okay? Got that out of the way. First thing, the heart will attempt to condemn us to keep us from doing the very good things Christ has called us to, like what we talked about last week, loving our neighbors and our brothers. And I love that John adds this nice little additional point, um, which is this. If your heart doesn't condemn you, you still have confidence because regardless of what your heart says, you are still God's child, right? Like you can listen to him and trust him. So John continues. Into verses 22 and 23, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Now, verse 22, do not be confused with the word whatever. Remember, this is all just the ending paragraph of a much longer thought that's been stretching all the way back to the beginning of chapter 3 right? God has loved us and made us his children. And he has called us to, verse 11, love one another. In fact, John says we know love in that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And this self-sacrificial love is exactly the kind of love, it's exactly the kind of stuff our heart will try to condemn us for, right? No, 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 no. I, I I can't talk to my neighbor. I'll just screw it up, right? Why, why in the world would I have them over for dinner? Like, my house is a mess, Right? I'm not qualified to talk to that person about salvation. My life's a disaster. John says, whatever thing that is, that piece of the kingdom work that you're too scared or too busy or too ashamed to do, God will, will help you do it. You can ask him. He wants to empower you to do that thing. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It, there's the caveat, right? Uh, Here's the thing, strings attached. Yeah, okay, God will give me what I ask if I do what he says, if I follow his commandments. Well, yeah, that's always been true, right? He's the God of the universe, but notice how the God of the universe desires for us to interact with him, right? Chapter three, verse one, John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Your Father in heaven loves you, and he asks you to do two things with that love, right? John says them both in verse 23. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And just really quickly, I want to break down both of those, okay? So first thing, God calls us to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This goes deeper than just believing that Jesus existed, okay? This is an all-encompassing faith in who Jesus was, that he was actually the son of God, and what he did, which was to act, which was the act of saving humanity, right? Hybert's commentary actually makes this really cool connection between the name of Jesus and his mission. Okay, the name Jesus is just the Greek form of the Hebrew name uh, Jeshua or Yeshua. Um, in fact, again, I'll make a reference to when we watched The Passion last year, the whole movie's in Hebrew and Greek, right? So every time Hebrew characters are talking, they keep saying Yeshua. They're talking about Jesus. They keep saying Yeshua, Yeshua. Well, that's just his Hebrew name. Um, that name in Hebrew literally means the Lord saves, or the Lord is my salvation. And I like this really literal one from Hybert. He says, it's just, the Lord is salvation. 
So this belief in the name of Jesus Christ is not an acknowledgement of his existence. Like, remember, even the, even the de- demons believe and tremble, right? Like, it's, it's a trust and an affirmation of who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God, and that he actually had the power to accomplish his mission, which was to save us from our sins. That faith, that trust is actually one of the main ways we love him. If you ever wonder, if you ever like hear our mission, you know, Josh said our church's mission, love Jesus, live like Jesus, make him known. If you ever wonder, you're like, okay, I can live like Jesus. I can see how he lived in the Bible. And like, I can, I can emulate that. I can, I can love others. I can serve others. I can do all these things. I can make him known. I can talk about him with people around me. But how do I like love him? Like he's, I know how to love like my spouse, who's like, I can see and hear and touch and I can love my friends, but how do I love Jesus? Well, this is one of the main ways. John's saying like, dude, just believe in him, like trust him, right? Like uh, listen to him, seek to know him more. Like that's one of the ways that you love Jesus. Second one, man, this should be easy. We've talked about it last three weeks. Um, uh, Love other people right? Like lay down your life for others. If you, if you see a brother in need, feed him, clothe him. Like love isn't just words, it's action, right? Like this is all stuff John's been saying in the last 20 verses, so I'm not going to go into that too much, but really he's just quoting Jesus and the other apostles, right? Like Jesus says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, Paul says something similar. 1 Corinthians 13. If I, see, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What Jesus and Paul and John are all trying to communicate to the believer is this. All these laws, all these rules, all these regulations you think you need to follow or you think will save you boil down to two things. Love God, love others. And to love God means you got to know him, like the real him, right? And not just saying that you love them, but like showing love in action. That's, that's what God requires of you. Love others, including him, just as he loved you. That's it. Christianity is not this comprehensive list of do's and don'ts, church. Like, it's a way of life marked by love. Which again, if you're ever confused about what that looks like, you can look in your Bible, right? You can ask the Lord, you can pray. You can ask your family of believers. Like that's why we live in community, right? Like we encourage and uplift one another. Your heart will tell you that love is one thing one minute and something else a minute later, right? But God's word stays the same. Finally, John gives us one more word of encouragement to close out chapter three, right? He says, whoever keeps his commandments what we just talked about, love God, love others. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we have God, he's the creator of the universe. And he sends his son, Jesus, to dwell with humanity, show us how to live and ultimately dies to restore us to God. And when Jesus leaves to go be at the right hand of the father, he does something really cool. What he doesn't say is, all right, I'm going now. Like, trust me that you'll, I'll always be with you and you have communion with my father and he abides in you and I in him. You got this. Like we're over here and, and you're down here, but, uh, but I'll be back someday. He doesn't do that, right? Like he leaves someone with us, right? I actually got to preach about this last summer too when we studied the book of John, but John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Does that sound familiar? Because to me, it sounds exactly like verse 24, right? Like John here is in this letter reminding us that the Holy Spirit isn't just our helper. He is, he is our helper. He isn't just our helper. He's our evidence of the relationship we have with God. This is our God church, right? He doesn't say, love me, then peace out, saying, I'll be back someday, good luck. Trust me, it'll all work out. He gives us this amazing gift, which empowers, encourages, and gives us assurance of our faith. What John reminds us of then here in this letter is that the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit to believers is one of the greatest sources of assurance for the fearful or worried heart. Paul actually says something similar in Romans 8 when he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He is this constant voice of reassurance when our heart tries to criticize us. He says, no, 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 I'm here, I'm with you. So often I think <clears throat> the works of the Spirit are sort of like aggrandized into this like, list of like, powers the Holy Spirit can give you, right? Like gifts of teaching and healing and knowledge, which are all things the Spirit can and does do. But we often forget that one of the greatest gifts of the Spirit is simply His presence, right? Like the way He speaks to us, He encourages us, He admonishes us. I often find myself um, in this trap of like waiting for the Spirit to do something rather than listening for the Spirit to say something. John is saying is, if you're sitting here wondering, can God even use me? Is God even with me? He's saying, listen to the Holy Spirit. By Him you can know, not just hope, but know that He abides in you and you in Him. Okay, so what, what do we do with this passage today? <coughs> well, we can boil it down to three things. Number one, remember that your heart cannot save you. Church, this message from Scripture is becoming increasingly countercultural with each passing day, right? The narrative of our culture says that you can find truth and stability right here, right? But the evidence all around us shows that that perspective is failing. Like, it's failing because it's rooted in truth that constantly changes, right? All the time, our hearts change, and I'm seeing it right now. Church, I see it with family members. I see it with family members who are hurting and broken and they've followed their heart into places and now they're like just a wash in this constantly changing sea of like where their heart has taken them and their heart's at the wheel. And uh, by the way, I'm talking about believers and unbelievers alike, right? And, and it looks a little different for believers versus unbelievers, I think sometimes, right? Uh, with believers, the narrative that kind of like blends our cultural no norm with Christianity looks kind of like this, Right? God wants me to be happy and healthy and safe and secure, which, as it turns out, my heart really also wants. So uh, I guess I will follow my heart because it's in alignment with, with what I think God wants for me. It's, I, I kind of think of it as like kind of like the low-cal diet version of like the prosperity gospel a little bit. Because like most of us, we, we would say like, I know God doesn't promise me like great riches or a big house or, or uh, that trip to Cabo or seven kids that all get into Ivy League schools or, you know, whatever, right? Like, but he does promise me, like, happiness, right? Like, he owes me that much. Or maybe, like, a house, a kid, like, a job that I love, that yearly anniversary trip with my spouse, a spouse. Like, aren't all those good things that my heart longs for? Church, he promises, we just saw this last week, he promises a world that will hate you. 
He promises persecution. He promises times of need. He promises grief. He promises insult, pain, and suffering. And he promises adoption into a new family. He promises freedom, true freedom. He promises to help us in the midst of our need. He promises joy out of grief. He promises to walk with us through our pain. And he promises an eternal kingdom free of suffering. Those are the promises. Don't miss out on your chance to be a part of that kingdom because you followed your heart. Number two, uh, you have what it takes. Like following God is often frightening because it requires faith. But we serve a God who we can cry out to when we're not sure if we can actually be useful for the kingdom, and he's more than happy to empower us to do so. What does this look like? Well, it looks like showing love to our brothers and sisters, right? Just looking right back to what we were, where we were just at, right? If you're looking for tangibles, I'll give you a couple, because I know these are always helpful. Next time you see your neighbor on your street, instead of letting your heart tell you to run back inside where it's safe, strike up a conversation. Remind them that they are a person who's worthy of your time. Take a classmate or a coworker out to coffee or lunch. Man, make their day, huh? Invite people into your home. I don't know if you guys have been reading the book that our community groups have been going through, but man, it talks about how people just love when they are shown hospitality, right? Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Your heart might condemn you about it. Call a friend you haven't talked to in a while. Tell them how much you appreciate them. I got friends who do this with me all the time. It's like the most loving. It's like I feel the most loved in the world when I get one of those calls from somebody like that. Try it out. There's so many ways to show love to the people around you. Again, don't miss a chance because you were afraid. Finally, listen to the Holy Spirit. This point I originally called be confident. Then I kind of realized that telling non-confident people to be confident is not extremely helpful. (laughs) So instead, I'll phrase it like this. If you you have sources all around you uh, that can supply you with confidence regarding things like your salvation, your standing with God, your unique role in his kingdom, and your ability to accomplish what he's set before you. The question is, are you listening to those sources? Right? Sources like his word, right? The Holy Spirit, which both encourages and empowers us, right? Sources like the people he's placed and is, or is trying to place in your life. Heads up to people like that. I, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta let people like that in my life sometimes. Uh, People who's trying to place in your life to admonish you, help you grow, to encourage you. Are you listening to those sources or are they being drowned out by all the other voices in your life? I know it's challenging to to listen to God sometimes. A phrase we often hear in Christian circles is that God whispers and the world is loud. If you guys have heard that before. Sometimes God is loud. Sometimes he's hitting you over the head with truth. Like it happens to me all the time. Uh, But more often than not, the message coming from all around us, some of the loudest being the ones from our own heart, are drowning out what God is trying to tell us. So the final ask is, what do you need to stop listening to in order to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? For some of us, it may look like giving something up. Uh, Something really cool that our staff does every year, um, Josh encourages all our staff to uh, do a fast between uh, New Year's and Easter. Um, And uh, we all do different things. You know, for Josh, it's sweets. Uh, For me, it's media, because I know I have a problem. And... uh, and uh, this year, I deleted the YouTube app from my phone. And uh, that first week, oh, I tell you, turn out, open up my phone and be like, Hurr! but here's what I did. This was kind of cool. I moved my Bible app to where the YouTube app was. 
And I, I have opened my Bible app like five times more than I ever did before because of that, that small change. But, but church, like the stillness, the quiet, like the peace and quiet, like in the morning, like not immediately having to go be entertained in the morning, like the stillness, the quiet, allowing me to fill my, it almost, if I've, been ex, I've been describing it this way to like my friends and coworkers. It's like fresh air in my lungs every morning instead of gunking them up with everything else. Not all the confusing narratives, not all the conflicting arguments. So what do you need to stop listening to so you can listen to God's voice in your life? I'm going to invite the band up at this point. We're going to go into prayer. We're going to open up just a time of reflection. Um, and we do this sometimes here at church where we don't immediately just start playing a song and singing songs. Um, but just a time of reflection to think about those voices that are in your life, all the different voices coming from all these different directions that are trying to lead your heart one way or another. I just want us to like pray about those, pray what that voice, what, what voice might be the loudest right now that might be uh, in the way of us like listening to the Holy Spirit because church, he wants to encourage us to do great things for the kingdom. Our God wants to encourage us. So let's pray. We're just going to give this, this uh, morning over to the Lord. And we're going to give our hearts over to the Lord and ask him to show us what things we need to let go of in order to listen to him. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this space. I thank you for this moment, you know, every week where we can gather and things can just be a little bit quieter. Or we can listen to you or we can focus on you. But Lord, we're called as your children to be constantly listening. And Lord, so often we listen to a heart that condemns us, keeps us from doing your good works. So Lord, I just pray as John prayed over those who he read or who, who he was writing to, I pray that this body of believers, that their hearts would be reassured, that they would be encouraged by your truth, not some kind of made up truth, but by your truth found in your word. God, I thank you that you are a God that does point us to a true north that we can set our compass to and follow. God, I pray whatever that voice is that leads us one way one time and one way another time, God, I pray that you would show us where that is and where we need to cut that out so we can focus wholly and completely on you. It is in your good and precious name that we pray. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. Thanks again for listening.